Hey guys, Acts 4, verse 23. If you want to turn to Acts 4, that would be great. I don't know what week we're in. Scott, do you remember what week this is in Acts? Seven? Doesn't really matter. Acts 4. Hey, if you have a device, um, it's the ESV version that we go through. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We got Lumberjack Bond in the back there. Check him out. Sorry, Bondo, I just can't resist. I dig it so much. I'm still getting over that pumpkin spice latte thing that was, that was leveled at me by Seth. Um, so if you need a Bible, he has Bibles. Don't be shy. Yes, right here in the front. So I'm going to start our time with a, a question. And the question is this, what are your go-tos? What are your go-tos when you experience a setback? gets asked a lot these days, isn't it? It's kind of a catchphrase for us. What are your go-tos? But my question is, what are your go-tos when you experience a setback? For some of us, it's food, maybe, or maybe it's uh, books or sleep. Some of us go to medication. Some of us go to entertainment. Some of us go to some really, really unhealthy forms of entertainment. Some of us just, it's like paralysis. We just freeze up. We just freak out. So the question is, where do you go? What is your go-to when you experience a setback? Because Peter and John experienced a pretty significant uh, setback last week when uh, Pastor Jeff was, was taking us through chapter four of Acts. There they were, and they were performing signs and miracles, preaching the gospel. They were seeing thousands come to faith, but the religious leaders, the elite right? The guys that everybody looked up to, to tell them how to live according to God's word, who didn't do a very good job of that. But those particular religious elite, they were unhappy. They were unhappy about them keeping the name of Jesus alive. So they arrested Peter and John and they threatened them to stay silent and to not continue this preaching and this promotion of Jesus and his name. The problem, of course, was that Peter and John pointed out that they don't take their orders from men, but they take their orders from from God. What do you think you would have told Peter and John to do next if they had come to you for counsel? What do you think that you would have told them? Because here's the thing, Christians have always been threatened to stay silent. Many times, and I would say this is more, more, really more applicable for us here as Americans, many times it's our own voice that preaches to us and says things like this, man, I don't want to push an agenda. I don't want to do that. I don't want to offend anybody. I want to respect people for their beliefs. Um, we might say, I don't want to make trouble. I don't want to be disliked or we can kind of flip the opposite of that, which is, you better believe I want to push an agenda, right? We get aggressive. We say things like, you know, I don't care who I offend. Or we might even say things like, man, I don't care what kind of trouble I have to make, right? I'm going to put my fist in the air and I'm just going to move forward aggressively for the name of Jesus. The problem with that, with both those extremes, is that they either miss out on or they misrepresent the love, the truth, the beauty, the grace, and the glory of Jesus, which the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 5.5, has been poured into our hearts. It has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given 
to us. So what would you have told Peter and John to do after they came back from being told to stay silent? Because what they really needed at the end of the day, what they really needed was boldness, which is what we're going to unpack this morning for a few minutes. The New Testament defines boldness as this, as being courageous, daring, and dauntless of acting without fear of the consequences. Another way that we might define it for ourselves this morning is this, having the courage to obey God in the face of fear. Having the courage to obey God in the face of fear. So, given the series that we're in, the, the church that Jesus builds, what is it? Well, it's a body of redeemed people who have been gifted their faith. Do you know that? Do you know that the faith you have is not just something that you built yourself into? It's not something that you earned a degree toward. It's actually a faith that you had no power in and of yourselves to attain apart from God saying, here, have some faith. So faith is what the church has been gifted, but it's a faith that needs to be accompanied by boldness so that the call to love God and love your neighbors can be lived out with authenticity with a trueness of spirit to be, as James says, doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, right? Thinking that just because you know some right words to say, you've memorized some scripture, you've spent some time in Sunday school, you've spent some time in church and in youth group, that's not just what this whole Christian journey and faith is about. By the way, um, it's a dangerous calling, this calling, to live out what we know to be true about God. It's a dangerous calling. In fact, if it wasn't dangerous, you wouldn't need boldness, right? So what was the disciples go to then when they were told to zip it and to stay silent? Well, they modeled a couple of things for us, and it was these things. They, they gathered with friends. They prayed through Scripture and what those two things did was allowed them to become emboldened to speak the word that God had entrusted them with. Let's pick up right now in verse 23 of chapter 4. And we're going to see how this played out for them. So it says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Stop. Don't go a word further. All right. Now, this is an easy thing to miss right here, though, right? And that's why I want us to stop, because this is what it says. It says they went to their friends. They went to their friends. After all that stuff that had happened, after the threats to stay silent, what's their first move? And in fact, it goes back to what I asked you. What would you have told them to do? Well, this is what they did. They went to their friends, and it caused us to ask the question, where do we go when we've experienced a particular setback? I think for many of us, we tend to collapse into more of like a self-protection mode, right? We lock the doors, grab some ice cream, get under a blanket, find something on Netflix, right? But what should happen when God is faithful to bring us through a crisis? When he's ruined us, but now he's walking with us because this is what Peter and John are experiencing. What does it say they did? It says they went to their friends 
And don't think for a minute that it's any mistake that Luke recorded this for us here to know and to understand how these brothers responded in the midst of a crisis. Because see, there's a There's a sense that God is always walking you through a season or a crisis or a challenge. I mean, it's going to be rare that any of you would come to me at some point or that I would go to you and say, you know what, everything is so good, I can't even think of one challenge going on in my life. But at some point in those challenges, we're going to find ourselves moving toward or away from people in the process. They went to their friends and they went to their friends to share their story so what Luke is saying here is he's saying they went to the place where they would be heard they went to the place where they would be supported they went to the place where they would be comforted and ultimately and eventually emboldened so are you when you experience a setback like these brothers did are you depriving your friends of that opportunity? Are you depriving yourself of the means that God has given you towards greater boldness when you're in the middle of a setback or just a stressful season or maybe literally this kind of persecution where people are telling you, hey, I need you to stop talking about Jesus. What is something that maybe today you might think you could go to your friends with and, and share. Is there a way in your life, is there a necessity in your life today that just like Peter and John, you need to go to your friends because you're at a place now where you are feeling timid and you are feeling weak in your faith and you are feeling like I don't have the stuff that it takes to move forward in my Christian walk with any sense of assurance and boldness. So Peter and John, what did they do? They gathered with friends. But they didn't gather with friends merely to share events, but just to tell them what's been happening over the last few days. They also prayed through scripture. Let's pick back up in verse 24. It says, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, this is a prayer. They said, sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? So this is from Psalm 2 here, he's quoted. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the prophets of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Do you see that in verse 28? To do... Whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So a couple of things are happening here that we don't want to miss. It says after they heard it, they freaked out and they made plans to get the heck out of Jerusalem. Did you see that in there? It said they came together and they threw down on the chief priests and the elders because it was outrageous that they were made to stay silent. They said, it's too dangerous. Let's just relax for a while and wait for things to cool off. They didn't say anything like that. 
right? And in fact, it's way more curious and courageous than that, actually. It says, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. So they gathered with friends and they prayed together through scripture. You can't pray together through scripture with somebody that you're not together with. You're like, that's the most obvious thing I've ever heard you say, Ronnie. It means that they prayed, but let's look at how they shaped their prayer. Number one, they did it by acknowledging first that God is creator and king. Do you see how they did that in verse 24 and 25? Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it. People in authority who want to silence God's people, it's a super old story. It's a super old story that always ends in vanity is what we're told in Psalm 2. And in fact, Romans 8.31, Paul reminds us, if God is for us, who can be against us? So what do we see here but God being so incredibly for Peter and John? So they acknowledge that God is creator and king. Isn't that an interesting place for them to go given the place that they were in? We should think about that when we find ourselves in the middle of a setback or a crisis How do our prayers look? Where's the first place we go to in our prayers? Second, they shape their prayer by acknowledging God rules over all rulers. They pray through Psalm 2 here, which talks about rulers, again, plotting in vain against God's anointed. So basically it comes down to this thing that we're always so filled with fear because we think that somebody's going to overtake and overcome the guy who said, let there be light and there was light. There's a silliness to it. There's a foolishness to it. Because the people, they plot, but they plot in vain. Because anybody or anything that thinks they can overcome or overwhelm God, it's vanity. It's thinking something about yourself that's not true, right? It's like at some point an ant looking up at you saying, I think I got that guy. I think I'm going to take that guy. It's like, no, you're going to ruin my sandwich, but you're not really going to take me. You don't really have the power or the strength to take me. It's the best illustration I have right now. So they shape their prayer by acknowledging God as creator, by acknowledging God rules over rulers. So bringing it down to a human level. And then finally, by acknowledging God's predestined plan for his son, Jesus. So all the evil that these chief priests and these scribes had intended for Jesus was part of God's plan to redeem the world. They actually just played into his hand. It's like what uh, Joseph said at the, in Genesis when he said, hey, what others intended for evil, by the way, God worked out for good. So Joseph was talking to his brothers who had done all this crazy stuff. And Joseph is this guy that ends up in exile, imprisoned, the younger years of his life completely obliterated because he was locked up and his brothers finally face him, the ones responsible for it. And he says, right, you were responsible for that, but ultimately God was in control over it. So we talked about this a couple of weeks where we see this interfacing of our responsibility, but yet God is sovereignly in control over everything that we do. I don't have that figured out. You're not going to either. But we know that this is how we see things working together for good for those who love God and are called all the way 
through scripture. So one of the greatest gifts of encouragement and comfort we have to give to one another are promises. Not promises that we give, because I'm telling you, there are going to be times when I'm not going to keep those promises the way somebody wants those promises kept. But the promises of God's word, because those supply something for our chicken hearts that we need, right? I like advice. I like good counsel. It can be helpful. It can be necessary. But when you open God's word together, all right, it's like lowering an anchor into a stormy sea. That's what's happening in that moment. There's stability. There's hope because we're led to a person who has felt our pain and who has lived our fears, who has suffered our injustices and endured our threats. So praying through scripture together is how we become strengthened by the infallibility of God's word over the inaccuracy of our own worry. See, when you, let me say it like this. When you pray for boldness by acknowledging that God will do what he has predestined to take place, you're admitting something about yourselves and you're admitting something about God. Those two things simultaneously are happening. You're saying this, you're saying nothing in me has the power to prevent God from fulfilling his purposes. And by the way, that truth right there, that truth is so severe. That truth is so severely true that even when it looks like God is being defeated from your vantage point, my vantage point, when it looks like God is not there, when it looks like God is silent, when it looks like God is absent, God turns what looks like defeat into a decisive victory. How do we know that's true? Because that's what we see on the cross. None of Christ's entourage thought God was fulfilling his purposes when Jesus was hanging on that tree so marred up from his beatings that he didn't look like a human being anymore. Nobody thought, well, fellas, how can I encourage you right now just by telling you God is fulfilling his purposes? Nobody thought that in that moment. Jesus didn't look impressive in that particular moment. And yet, this is what God had in mind for the salvation of mankind. Isaiah clues us into this in 53 verse 3 when it says he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But all of this seeming, seemingly agonizing defeat, man, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Everything that we saw on the outside of Jesus was actually what the inside of us looked like and what he had to die for. He was crushed for that. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So we see here that to pray through scripture together with friends, for that to be our go-to, when we are experiencing setbacks and stresses 
It says something about who we know and who we are knowing and growing in our faith to affirm about God. It's our best option. And interestingly, it always feels like our last option. It always feels like our most ineffective option. You guys hearing me on that? So the disciples, what do they do? They gather with friends, they prayed through scripture and it was through these simple means of grace that they become emboldened to speak the word God had entrusted to them. Verse 29, and now Lord, they're continuing their prayer. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then 31, it says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Lord, deliver us from these threats. Protect us from harm. Don't let these dudes triumph over us. Wipe them off the face of the earth. The shocking nature of this prayer is that they never pray that. They prayed that God would grant boldness instead and that signs and wonders would continue to be performed in the name of Jesus. Here's what they were saying. God, please don't stop. Don't let our circumstances cause us to pull back in fear and go quiet. Now, it's okay to pray for protection. That's not what this is leading us and teaching us here. But it's more important to pray for boldness so that proclamation doesn't cease to come from the lips of God's people, right? By the way, this is an incredibly radical and counter kind of prayer to pray. Paul was able to pray this prayer in Acts 20. We'll see that down the road because he said this, I do not account my life of any value what? Nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So we see Paul here in the same place that we see Peter and John. So here's this crazy question we need to consider and reflect on this morning. What was it? What was it? That's what I'm asking. What was it that compelled these men who were threatened with death to pray for this kind of boldness? What was it? Do you think that in that moment they may have had some unanswered questions? Do you think that they had any clue what the road ahead of them looked like? Are they really any different than you in this? Here's the question. What was in them that's not in us? Well, you know what the answer is to that? Nothing. Nothing. What was it that compelled them? It was the power of the Spirit. It was the love of God. It was the hope that lied within Peter would go on to say this much in his first letter he wrote years later. We just read it. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, 
obtaining, it's not there yet, but obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. A prayer like this can only be prayed by a person whose heart has been humbled by the love of Jesus and filled by the power of the Spirit. And then verse 31 tells us the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Tim Keller said, prayer brings heaven into the ordinary. These just brothers and sisters gathering to pray. But their prayer was heard. The prayer was heard. Do you realize that when you pray, God hears your prayer? God shook them to remind them of his presence and his power. And it was an ancient shaking, right? The same shaking that happened when the prophet Isaiah uh, encountered God in the throne room of the temple. And the temple shook. It's the same shaking that happened when the temple curtain was torn in two at Christ's death. God was assuring these women and these men that he heard their prayer and he would not fail to walk with them. He would not fail to embolden them. Andrew Murray is an old theologian. He said, he'd probably love that I described him that way. He said, do not strive in your own strength. Cast yourself at the feet of the Lord Jesus and wait upon him in the sure confidence that he's with you and works in you. Strive in prayer. Let faith fill your heart. So will you be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I think it might be safe to say that the act of gathering with friends and praying through scripture was their first act of boldness. Wasn't that in and of itself an act of boldness? Because the opposite of boldness, what would the opposite be? Well, the opposite of boldness would be cowardice, timidity, and fear. So if we had a common enemy, and we do, we all have a common enemy for those of us who know Jesus, what might be his tactics against us becoming emboldened, right? I want to ask that question and unpack it for a minute here. What would be his tactics? Well, I think the first one would be the opposite of what we see happening here in this passage. It would be isolating yourself. Because the enemy doesn't want God's people together to strengthen one another, like we read in Acts 14, where it says that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, one must enter the kingdom of God. So there is a strengthening and an emboldening process that happens together. The devil would like you to isolate yourself every time. He would also like you to ignore prayer. So a tactic for him is that you would ignore prayer. He doesn't want God's people communing with God. He doesn't want happening what Paul says is happening in Ephesians 3, which is, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you what? To be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's Paul praying over the church of Ephesus. So Satan, who we believe is a real person, wants you to isolate yourself. He wants you to ignore prayer. And finally, he wants you to deny God's power. He wants God's people to think God's word is ineffective. So that gathering together with friends, praying through scripture, it makes us feel good about ourselves. It makes us feel like we're in. 
with God, but at the end of the day, we don't really believe any of those words. We don't walk away believing that God is emboldening us and empowering us. Romans 1.16, for Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Why, Paul? Why are you not ashamed of these words that people you told you were crazy for believing and dying for? Because he said, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He wasn't ashamed of it because it was power. It was an effectual power. I appreciate that. That's, a, that's an alarm for me. What would have happened if the disciples had gone to something other than community, scripture, and prayer? Well, we wouldn't have seen this boldness continue with the proclamation of the gospel. What you go to in times of setbacks and stress says something about how you will go out to the world as a gospel-centered, relationally-driven, God-glorifying disciple. It says something about us. So maybe this is the day your boldness begins. Think about a guy like Tom Brady, since everybody just talks about him incessantly. Think about Tom Brady as a kid, because I want you to think about what I just said. Don't miss what I said, the day your boldness begins, as in process, okay? But think about Tom Brady as a kid, someone who wanted to throw a football, but maybe, and I, I don't know his story, but maybe was afraid of what might happen if he threw that ball. He thinks it might not spiral. It might not go very far. It might slip out of my hands and fall behind my back. It might get intercepted. That's what I thought the first time I threw a football, by the way, which is why I haven't thrown one since. I thought it would be safer just not to throw, and maybe Brady thought that. Or maybe it's better to look at it like this, that the first throw Tom threw was the first throw toward all the other throws he was meant to throw for the rest of his life. He needed boldness to do what was in his heart because God had given him that gift, and that gift, by the way, would allow other people with their gifts to do what they were made to do. Do you see what that first bold throw that Tom Brady made did? Look what resulted all those years later. Super Bowl rings. But nobody knew that. Nobody knew that the first time Tom Brady threw a football. So here's how I want to encourage you, and then we're going to pray. Boldness does not begin at 100%. Boldness is part of the maturation and the sanctification process. Just like if you're a kid here this morning and you're learning how to do things and you want to learn how to acquire certain skills, they don't just come into full effect the first time you attempt them, right? You got to work at things. You become a better bicycle rider. You become a better basketball player. You become better at the things that you're attempting that need time for you to develop in them. I grew up with this passage feeling a bit like a weapon. Do you get what I mean by that? Like this, like you better pray. You better pray for boldness, Martin. Rather than what I think we get from the passage which is you get to pray 
for boldness because God has put a love in your heart that boldness enables you to give testimony to. Because without this love of God being poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, there's no need for boldness. So do you see that even the desire and the prayer for boldness is only there because we have something of which we need to be emboldened about. Isn't that phenomenal? So because Jesus was bold for us, we can be bold because of Jesus. This is the good news. And it is good news devoid of condemnation if you know Christ. Turn to Psalm 146. We're going to spend a few minutes this morning. I'm going to have uh, Scott come up. I want him to play a little bit as we close our time. But I want to read Psalm 46 as we pray, and I want to pray through it. I'm going to do something a little differently than what we've done. I'm going to ask my wife, I'm going to ask the Watsons to come up to the front of the stage And when we sing our final song, we want to be available this morning to pray for you and with you. We recognize that many of us are in places right now where boldness is only a dream for you. But yet we see here that God is eager to refill us with his spirit, which gives us boldness to face the areas in our life that we are so tempted to be silent in. So go ahead and bow your heads if you would. I'm gonna read Psalm 146 and I would ask that you would quiet your hearts before the Lord as I read this. And you would meditate on some of these words. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. God, we have our beings because you've given them to us. And so whatever place we find ourselves in, this is what you've ordained. We believe that you are in that much control. So God, we submit those things to you. That, Lord, you are praiseworthy, not because of the circumstances and the results of our life, but because you are the author of life and you have given us life. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. So, Lord, we recommit our hope and our trust back to you. We have found ourselves putting so much trust in our bank accounts and in our jobs and in our mom and dad and in our college applications in those things that we hope will provide the greatest future for us. But we understand that plans are very fragile and yet you hold our plans in your hands and you establish our steps. Would you do that for us today? Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, 
who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. God, thank you for setting us free because before we knew you, we were prisoners. Whether our life looked like it or not, whether we enjoyed a particular kind of earthly prosperity or not, we were prisoners. We were in chains to our sin. And so Lord, we thank you and bless you that you are our help and that our hope is in you, the creator, that we are able to be reunited as creature to creator, that it's not our faith that justifies us. It's not our faith that we conjured up on our own. It wasn't a manufactured faith that we could come up with that justified us, but it is the faith that you have given to us through Christ. Lord, the only reason why we can keep it is because you have kept it forever. We thank you that you will execute justice for the oppression we experience on this earth, that you will give food to the hungry and that you will set us free. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. We pray, God, that right now you would allow us to bow down before you so that we might be lifted up. We might be reminded that you love the righteous and our righteousness is not something that comes from ourselves, but it comes from Jesus. We don't have righteousness. We need righteousness. So, Lord, as we consider that we have forgiveness of sins, through the cross of Christ, and that when we have repented of those sins, God, that you look at us with the righteousness that Jesus attained for us, Lord, that we can rejoice in that. We can remember that you are watching over us in that even when it looks like you are absent, even when it looks like you have been defeated, there is no defeat for you. Defeat doesn't exist for you like it does for us, Lord. But there's victory. All things will be made new again. Lord, we hold on to this hope even when we can't hold on knowing that you are holding us. So Lord, we pray that we would become emboldened, that we wouldn't be a church that is just getting fat-minded because the truth of the scriptures is bloating us but God, that you would loosen our lips, Lord, that you would loosen our hearts for greater affection for Jesus so that God, whatever place you've put us in, Lord, we would not stay silent. You would give us a gracious testimony to the wonder and the power and the glory of Jesus. Lord, I know that some of us feel a million miles away from that. Would you help us to take some first steps this morning as we pray for boldness today. Lord, we thank you that you don't even condemn us when we're not bold. 
but your grace covers all. Thanks for that truth, Lord, because I need to hear that more than anybody here. So God, as we sing, as we look forward to the promises of your word finally being fulfilled, we take hope today because you, you walk with us and though you ruin us, we will praise your name. We will hope in you again. We will become emboldened. You will loosen our lips. You will fill us with the power of your spirit so that we can be your disciples and we can show our community in this town the glory that is Jesus Christ and the wonder of the cross. Do that for us, God, we pray. Amen.